Hello, Penn Medicine, and welcome to the Well-Focused Podcast. I'm Mitch Sherman, and today I'm joined by Dr. Lisa Bellini, the Senior Vice Dean of Academic Affairs. Lisa, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Mitch. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you about this really important topic. Yeah, I really appreciate you being here. You know, you of all people, because uh, you and I share space in this well-being field, which you know, right now is as big as it's ever been uh, at UPHS and at companies all over. So how are you doing with your well-being, I should ask? I am doing, I would say, most days well with my well-being, some days challenging. I, I don't consider myself to be any different than anybody else, quite honestly. And the pandemic is now becoming endemic and is really wearing thin on lots of people, including me. So I have good days and not so good days. I would say I don't have very many bad days. Okay, well, that's that's not a bad place to be, especially when you're saying you're doing okay. Okay means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. So, you know, you saying okay might mean something different than people that you tend to. So can you talk about sort of your the scope of the different employees at, at Penn that you work with to make sure that they're okay? Sure. So I am a physician and I have a pulmonary practice. So I'm a lung disease specialist and I work mostly in PCAM. I spend a little more than half day a week there. And I also spend time in the hospital, seeing patients in the hospital with residents and interns and fellows and other specialists, people with lung disease. So I interact with a lot of people around wellness through those clinical activities, both patients and staff that support our ability to take, take care of patients, as well as colleagues, um, and then lots of trainees for sure. So. My clinical work gives me the opportunity to interact with people in many different ways. The vast majority of what I do is from an administrative perspective. And probably five or six years ago, I really started in the wellness space for faculty and physicians and was focused on that particular group and worked closely with the senior administration, with Jen Brady and the WellFocus team to create some programming for physicians and faculty members related to well-being. I really started to think broadly about a framework that we could use organizationally to help organize a lot of the initiatives around wellness uh, that many places have, including Penn Medicine. And then when the pandemic hit, that broadened to include staff, everybody in the Penn Medicine community more broadly. So lots of opportunities now to really think about wellness across the spectrum. And so much of what we do here, because we're a large and complex place, is partner with other areas of the organization. So for example, human resources or our nursing colleagues or other individuals, the chaplains, other individuals that are really interested and passionate about wellness in order to address some of these needs. Yeah, and it's it's definitely a big a big role. You know, even before the pandemic, I think a lot of the topics that the pandemic made us pay more attention to were still important, but maybe didn't get our attention. 
things such as mental health, things such as work-life balance or whatever that means to somebody now, uh, words such as burnout. You know, it was there, but it wasn't talked about as much. Um, I know that a lot of people that the well-focused team reaches are people that work behind a computer a lot of the day and see emails and are able to attend our virtual presentations. But it sounds like a lot of the people you work with might not have such access to some of our presentations, some of the communications because, you know, they're busy treating patients rather than looking at emails. Yeah, I, I want to emphasize the point that you're making. And recently, I would say in the last couple of months, I've heard this phrase, the digital divide, that just keeps coming mm -hmm. up in multiple different settings. And it highlights exactly what you're describing. So there are certainly uh, roles and responsibilities within the health system and the School of Medicine, for that matter, that are mobile. Uh, you know, a nurse, for the most part, is not sitting in front of a computer all day long. They're in a patient's room, they're charting, they're working with family members, et cetera. A food services worker, same thing. They're running all around the hospital doing what they need to do and don't have an office and the opportunity to sit down and read emails and respond and sign up for things and to, to the extent that they may want to. So part of part of the whole challenge, and which, which is why this podcast program that you started is so important is how how do we get this really important information to all of these different roles in the organization um, we haven't figured that out yet i'm not actually sure any academic medical center or any health system has figured that out yet but it's really critically important how we reach people we have lots of great content and there are lots of things going on in the organization mindfulness programming, um, how, to, how to maintain your resilience, how to deal with the anxiety of the, the never-ending cycle of the pandemic and surges, but how do we communicate that content and make people aware that it exists and use digital formats that allow them to consume it when and how it's convenient for them to do so? It's definitely a challenge, and I know things such as this podcast, I know the Well Focus team has started recording some of their sessions, but there is also that additional obstacle of, you know, say you are working at HUP and you're on back-to-back -back night shifts, 12-hour shifts, the last thing you want to do when you get off is log into your emails to see these communications exactly. or log into something, you know, anything pen-related, especially when we're trying to preach, quote-unquote, work-life balance. No, I totally agree. And we actually need people, usually the best people at bringing forward solutions to these kinds of challenges are the people involved themselves. And so if there are listeners out there of your, of your series that have ideas for how we could better communicate or present information or programming, we, we would love to hear it. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, that is something that we work on and something that has been a persistent challenge for us to, to reach these people. So it is it is definitely on our minds. You know, aside from you mentioned mindfulness, resilience, this podcast, what are other things that you're hearing that are, are in demand that are needed by this, these clinical staff members? Well, when I think about wellness, I think about three buckets of things. Um, one bucket is 
the self-care that we've been talking about. So this kind of programming that somebody might participate in because they want to learn more about childcare opportunities or they want to maintain their resilience, they want to be more mindful and learn mindfulness techniques, maybe maybe they want to understand what the physical activity initiatives are. So those are self-care, the bucket of self-care. The, the two other buckets are larger than the self-care bucket, and those are really institutional factors or systemic factors. And one of those two buckets is the culture, so the culture of where you work. Do you feel comfortable where you are? Do you feel supported where you are? Do you feel that people, your supervisors, other colleagues that you work with are helping you develop professionally so you can continue to grow throughout your career? So the culture of where we practice and the culture of Penn Medicine is actually really, really important to how engaged people are and how they feel about coming to work every day. And then the, the last bucket that's also an institutional factor is your working environment. So is your working environment optimized? And, and that's the sort of thing where, for example, if you're a nurse, are the, are the processes that you have to use to take care of patients efficient? Um, are they patient-centered? Are they family-centered? Are they, are they meaningful? How do you interface with the electronic health record? Is it cumbersome or is it easy for you to do that? And if you're, for example, um, same, same thing, set of things would apply to somebody who works in EVS. Is, does the system make it easy for you to do your job? Or are there a lot of barriers there that make it much harder? And so you get frustrated. Because frustrated people tend to be less happy people. They tend to be less engaged. And when you're less engaged and you're frustrated, you potentially start to have symptoms related to anxiety, depression, et cetera. And now you need self-care. And so all of these buckets really try tend to work together. And you can't really address one without addressing the others. So it's important to think about wellness from a holistic perspective where there's institutional responsibility and then there's also personal responsibility to, to the best that you can maintain your self-care. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And when you talk about a nurse that is less engaged and extra frustrated and that line of maybe developing some anxiety about work, the stakes might be a little higher because they're patient seeing than, you know, say me that sits here behind my laptop all day talking to people. So that is definitely critical aspect of, of this that we need to approach. Now, when you talk about the three different wells, what what sort of problems individually would you say are you hearing most frequently out of these wells? From a self-care perspective, probably the most, there are two significant issues. One relates to childcare, or I should say the broader category of dependent care. And so there are certainly many employees that take care of family members that are not children, maybe they're older individuals, maybe people with disabilities, et cetera. And the strain that the pandemic has put on caregivers, 
no matter who you're taking care of at home, has been tremendous. From that bucket, childcare is a huge source of stress and anxiety for parents, particularly with schools changing policies and procedures all the time, daycare, etc. It's been very, very stressful. And what goes hand in hand with dependent care is flexibility. And what I hear most that employees are asking for, whether you're a physician or any other job class, is the ability to be flexible with your time. And so it's challenging, flexibility both in terms of how much you work and how you do your job. Now some individuals don't have the opportunity to work in a hybrid type way. Like you can't be a remote nurse. Well, I suppose you could, but if you're assigned to a hospital unit, you're not doing that from home. You have to come into work every day or the days that you're assigned. Same thing with a, a food services worker or an EVS individual. Those individuals are coming to work. And so they, they often don't have the opportunity or the ability to function in a hybrid environment where they could do some home, some work from home and some work from their actual location of employment. And that's important. Many of the physician staff were able to do some sort of hybrid work in the beginning of the pandemic, but pretty much now people are back to work if you're in a forward-facing clinical role. Um, the flexibility that people need to be able to start their workday a little bit later, end their workday a little bit earlier, depending on the needs of your family and your needs outside of work, I think is critically important. Because if we don't give people the opportunity to be engaged in their personal lives, we talk about engagement at work, but people need the opportunity to be engaged in their personal lives in ways that are meaningful to them. And if they can't do that because their work schedule or work expectations are so rigid, then it again is a source of tremendous stress and oftentimes could lead to people leaving the workforce, which is what we don't want to see. Yeah, it's a great point because as passionate as somebody is about being a nurse, being a doctor, working, you want to be defined by more than one thing. You don't want to necessarily be defined by your career. So if you have the flexibility to do these other things with your family or socially in general, it creates that holistic approach to well-being as we were mentioning earlier. I, I absolutely believe that that's true. Yeah, and, and with that flexibility and childcare, it does go hand in hand when, when you were saying earlier how things spill over from one to another. It's you have the flexibility, you might not need the child care as much because you are providing care for your child with that extra flexibility. Yeah, the flexibility has been something I've heard a lot in the past, I would say 12 to 18 months. As a, It's a really important factor. You know, the other thing that we've heard a lot of is the culture. It's the organizational culture, um, how we treat each other in the workplace. Re regardless of what your role or responsibility is, do you feel like you're being treated with mutual respect? Um, do you feel valued as part of the organization? And we, like many other organizations, 
have aspirational goals and values, um, mission statements, things that we just aspire to. You know, we aspire to respect and integrity and taking care of ourselves and professional etiquette. But those are aspirational goals. And we need to work every day at making sure that the work environment supports a culture that represents those goals. And some of those initiatives that have gone on, you know, the professionalism initiative in the past that started many years ago under Dr. Jody Foster and the current um, Action for Cultural Transformation that is being led by Dr. Eve Higginbotham and her team in inclusion, diversity, and equity. Are, those initiatives are so important because it, it makes people feel good about, want, about being at work. And that is critical to being well overall. It's, it's one of the really important foundational components of wellness that I think oftentimes gets disconnected in this conversation. But the culture of where you work is very important to this whole puzzle. Yeah, you, when you talk about culture in where you live, in your society, you step out of the door, what is the culture about where you live and you want it to be X, Y, and Z, and it shouldn't be that much different in the workplace, especially if you're going to be spending that much time there. You know, you're spending upwards of 40 plus hours, you know, maybe um, a resident is working way more than 40 plus hours. So you don't want to spend the majority of your time, or at least a good chunk of your time, in a place that is not culturally inclusive of your wants Absolutely. and needs. That's exactly right. And whether that's due to your race, ethnicity, gender, sexual orientation, etc., or just in terms of a respect thing that you had alluded to earlier between you and your manager. How do they talk to you? Do they speak to you with respect? If not, you know, regardless of how you identify, that doesn't necessarily matter if your if your manager is not treating you respectfully regardless. Or your colleagues or, you know, this healthcare is, is such a complicated place, but even patients, um, you know, mm. even patients can be difficult yeah. and they can bring the same sort of disrespect and judgment to the care team that a provider or a member of the healthcare team can bring to the interaction. And so we see, we certainly see patients, particularly in the pandemic era, that have been very demanding, disrespectful of our staff, disrespectful of uh, differences in our staff and the family members as well as patients. And it makes it, it makes it very, very difficult. So patients are a part of the culture that I'm talking about. It's just not all staff related, but when you have a relationship with a patient to take care of them and a commitment to take care of them, each member of the care team is bringing something to the table and then patients and their family members are also bringing something to the table. And so sometimes there is a clash there that makes it very difficult, particularly for our nursing colleagues who spend significantly more time with patients, particularly in the hospital, than a physician might. You know, a physician makes rounds, they go back and see the patient, 
another time during the day, but nurses are with those patients and interacting with family members all day long for the entire duration of their shift, as it were. And if those relationships aren't positive and productive and compassionate and humanistic and mutually respectful, it's very difficult for a nurse to feel good about the work they did at the end of the day. It's demoralizing. It's a great point and one that I haven't even considered when thinking about well-being is what about from the patient's perspective or their contribution to, to the uh, culture in the hospital? I mean, I know for sure that if I broke my leg and had to be rushed to the hospital, I probably would not be in a very good mood and would not want to be in the hospital. But that does not necessarily allow me or permit me to be disrespectful to a nurse who's there doing their job to fix my leg. You know, as this podcast is going to our employees, is is there anything that we can do to make sure our, our patients are going to be respectful? I know they're coming from all over the place and from all different backgrounds and experiences. You know, I, there's a lot of work going on at the level of the health system to really think about what does um, what does a patient code of conduct look like, and what are the expectations we have of our patients and their family members, visitors, when they come to the inpatient or the outpatient arena? So I don't really want to speak out of school and go into too much detail there, except for the fact that it's been recognized as something that is very important that, that we need to work on. What I would tell staff is, this happens for sure, and the ability to talk about it with colleagues, to bring it up with the person who's supervising the team, the attending physician, the faculty member, your nurse manager, when these sorts of things happen is really important because when we just let them go, it has the insidious sort of gnawing at you impact that Nobody cares, and people actually really do care. And oftentimes you'll find a nurse and a medical assistant in the room together, because um, oftentimes they work in teams. Many other people work in teams as well. And when you see something, if you were to see something that was rude or potentially biased or disres disrespectful from a patient or a family member towards a staff member, to not be silent about it, to, to call it out, to make sure that the person, your colleague that you're working with knows that you noticed and you said something. It's, it's really important. So the bystander effect, which is what we commonly refer to when somebody sees something and doesn't say anything, is a very powerful negative from a culture perspective. And, and even if you may not feel like you can say something in the room when the patient is there and the family member is there, when you leave the room and you have the opportunity to say something to your colleague if you witness something, you know, that was really inappropriate. Um, I'm really sorry that just happened to you. I'm really sorry I heard that. That affirmation is really important to the person who was just had the event happen to them. And so as a community, I think we could do better in helping people elevate the culture by just calling out and recognizing when things aren't right, they don't feel right.
Yeah, it's very validating because yeah. other otherwise that person feels alone in that experience. And if somebody else isn't like, hey, I got your back, I saw that, you can feel definitely alienated. And again, this goes back to why we're having this discussion in the first place. It contributes to how people feel about themselves, about their jobs, about their work. And if you don't feel well about the things that you're doing, well, you're just not going to be happy. And you're, you're going to have more bad days than good days. Yep. Eventually, you're going to say, well, I don't want to do this anymore because it just makes me feel bad. At the end of the day, there needs to be some level of being content at work. Mm -hmm. Not not every day has to be an amazing day, but you don't want to go to a place that you're dreading going to every day for extended amounts of time, overnight sometimes. So I think we can all help each other. And that sort of community of people that you work with, not only when you see some interaction that's negative, but you may notice something's off about your colleague. They're just not acting the way that they usually act. Maybe they're not as talkative as they were a couple of months ago. Maybe you know there's something going on in their personal life that is really stressful for them. Like we, we really need to be looking out for each other right now. And if you if you see somebody who is struggling, say something offer to connect them to some sort of resource to help because we've got to take care of each other. It's a, it's mm -hmm. really, really important that we all take care of each other. You know, I've been at Penn for a very long time. And the reason I've been here so long is because of the people. The people here are amazing. And we all have the goal of providing the best possible care that we can whether that's because you're making discoveries in the laboratory that are creating new cutting edge treatments or devices for our patients, or whether you're on the front lines clinically using all of those things to take the best possible care that you can of our patients and their families. But we all share that goal of being the best at taking care of patients that we possibly can be. We're a family. And you have to believe that when you come here. And families struggle. And it's just been a very challenging time in the last year to be in healthcare. So we've just got to look out for each other. I'm really glad that you said, you know, we provide this great care because, you know, our slogan on the Well Focus team is the best care for your patient starts with the best care for you. So if we're not approaching that latter part first, how are we supposed to do our jobs? I completely agree. And if any organization can do it, this one can. Definitely. So, Lisa, as I wrap up these podcasts, I always like to end them with a fun question, either pertaining to the topic or not. This one is pertaining to the topic. So I wanted to ask you what your personal well-being goal is for this coming year. If there's one thing that oh. you would like to improve upon. Um, I would say that I love to exercise. It's actually really important to me to try and exercise as many times a week as I can. It clears my head. It makes me feel good about myself. It helps me sleep better. Um, it's really important to me. 
I would say I would like to make it an even more regular part of my routine than I do now because I realize I know how important it is to me. I just need to carve out the time to do it. And that is a is a big goal for me. Uh, since you're speaking to an exercise person, that is <laughs> I knew that to my ears for sure. So I, I'm, I'm listeners. I did not set up that question intentionally, <laughs> but uh, Dr. Lisa Blini, thank you so much for being here. This was incredibly insightful. I know I got a lot out of this, and I, I'm sure the listeners will too. Thanks a lot for inviting me, and um, I'm always happy to talk about this at any time. All suggestions welcome for how we can continue to do better.